0: Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. This is your host, Mark Musselman. Today, I am speaking with Molly Booker. Molly is a dear friend as well as a brilliant, beautiful, powerful woman who has an unquenchable thirst for learning all there is to learn, a self-described, sensitive nerd who can't keep her nose out of a good book. She is a profoundly talented author and writer, is wise, thoughtful, thoughtful, Honest, insanely talented, and recently married to her wife, Kelly, and relocated to Nashville, Tennessee. Molly joins me from her newly adopted home in Nashville. I say newly adopted because prior to moving to Nashville, Molly has lived her entire life in Colorado like I have. So two Colorado natives on the same call at the same time. That's some rarefied air. Um, Molly, like most of us who have lived long enough, has had a handful of experiences that have taken her to her knees and had her experiencing that sense of hell on earth. Our conversation today promises to be real, raw, and ultimately will offer some relevant insights to any listener who's on the verge of, in the midst of, or has just passed through a significant challenge that has taken them to their knees. And now I bring you Molly Booker. Molly, um, before we jump into the story, I just want to see if you have anything you'd like to share about you uh, that goes beyond uh, my description of you that would help the sort of listeners get a sense of who you are.
1: Thank you, Mark. Oh my gosh, I'm delighted. I'm I'm so excited to jump into this conversation with you. I love this idea um, of a podcast, Hell and Back. I, I love that. So excited to do this. And, you know, I'd say that I feel like I've been there. Helen back a few times, uh, you know, I find my life kind of goes like this, maybe a little bit more like this, you know, like slightly elevated each time I do it. Um, but uh, I think overall, it's just, man, I absolutely love my life. That has not always been the case, but I'd say I love my wife, I love being married, I love my family, I love Nashville. Uh, and these are things that I never would have thought for myself, but Uh, find myself in just this space of, man, I just love waking up in the morning.
0: Well, that makes me so happy to hear. I've had the incredible gift and blessing of knowing you for a number of years. Some of those years that you would not have used all that language to describe where you were. And I would say the same for me as well, right? I think we've both had the joy. And I just say also the privilege of walking alongside one another as we've each been in our own way because of life circumstances taken to our knees and then, you know, resource something to get us back out of that place moving forward uh, in life. And so, as you know, as we've discussed, the, the nature of the conversation is this idea of, you know, at, we live long enough, there's nobody who escapes it, right? I, and if you are one of those people who thinks you have escaped it, I don't mean to say this anyway, but watch out, because something's coming that will get beyond you. Um, but that sense of you know, your life is dynamic, and we're going to encounter things that occur. Sometimes they're external things that occur. Sometimes they're things that we create, and then we find ourselves in the midst of something that's our own creation that takes us to our knees. So you know, as I'm not going to put any chronological references to where you are in your life, um, other than, you know, brilliant, beautiful, smiling, happy living in the Southeast, which from a Colorado native perspective, I almost, you know, is a thing by a podcast by itself. <laughs> um, you know, Southern living, you could, you know, go down that path. But I, I would love to know, and I'm sure the audience would love to know, like of all the things that you could point to, you know, we, we might stray in and out of a couple of different things, but if you were to pick one story of your life that for you is seminal, We'd love to just kind of have a conversation around that experience and, you know, the, the idea of the breakdown, the thing that took you to your knees. And then really, you know, for the people who are, who are on this call and, and are going to pay attention, what is it you accessed and resourced to get yourself out of that place? And I say back up and back forward, never knowing what up and forward look like because it's unique to every person. So how about that is a good starting point.
1: All right. Let's, I mean, man, let's just go all the way all the way <laughs> in there. I love that. Let's go. Um. So uh, one, you know, one point in my life, and it was early on, uh, in kind of middle school, high school years, uh, but I was really struggling. Um, when kind of the transition between elementary school and middle school, I started having symptoms of depression. Mm. And that was just not part of our conversation growing up in, you know, rural Colorado in the You know early 80s we just weren't talking about depression and so i i just had no idea i just know that i went from absolutely loving school and you know playing soccer i was the best on the team i had friends i had sleepovers all the time things came super easy you know making friends came easy learning came easy reading all of that so i didn't think about my life much i just really enjoyed being a kid and then all of a sudden starting middle school it seemed like just like that, all of it vanished. I felt stupid. I felt ugly. I felt like I couldn't make a friend at all. I mean, I ate lunch by myself. And it just felt like what happened overnight. um, My confidence just tanked. I, I I just had zero confidence in myself. I quit playing soccer because I just thought I wasn't good enough. Wow. I stopped, you know, doing any kind of extracurriculars and spent most of the time in my room. You know i just all of a sudden had an incredibly hard time sleeping i was up a lot at night and then tired during the day my appetite was zero so all of these changes just happened and i'm just like what is wrong with me how come i can't do the basic thing you know and so i was really struggling and had an older brother who was also struggling at the same time his with um alcohol drugs yeah. i didn't know. i mean i had no clue Um, that he was doing drugs, doing alcohol. I just knew that he was very volatile in our house and he was mean and his moods were, you know, really unpredictable. And so, you know, I just kind of kept all all of my stuff to myself and just, I want to be the easy kid um, because he was in such desperation a lot of the time. And so he ended up going to rehab and spent a year there and came out and I felt like, you know, hey, I got my brother back and Um, you know, I was just starting high school, uh, in, for me, it was in 10th grade. So I'm just starting and I'm like, okay, I got a fresh start here. Um, things are going to be different. And so I started high school and my brother back at home and we were, you know, working on repairing some of our relationship there. And, um, one night, you know, he was uh, a type one diabetic and
0: Mm.
1: really never had very good control of his sugars. And so there was a like a week period where he just was really struggling with his blood sugars. He was having a lot of diabetic reactions. And so early in the week, he um, had a diabetic reaction while driving and dented the front end of his truck. Mm. And Mark, I don't know what it was about that, but I'm pretty mild, you know, it's just like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I'm kind of the peacemaker. And I just, want everybody to be happy around me. I'm not going to say much. I'm not going to complain. Um, but he came home from school on that Monday and he said, you know, as typical, like, Molly, take me in to get my truck fixed. And I was just like, big F you. You know, yeah. like, like one, you couldn't ask, you know, um, just the there was just something about it. And man, it triggered me so badly. And I let him have it first yeah. time I can remember. And I was. Man, years of pent up stuff just came spewing out, you know, like I hate you and you're so selfish and you have no idea everything in our family's for you. Mom and dad spend all of their energy on you. You don't have any idea what my life has been like for, you know, all of this. And I just went off and every obscenity just man, just Yeah, let you him, got
0: it. Both you barrels. Know, just
1: you know, if you'd seen the Christmas story when Ralph yeah. is just, and stuff is just, spewing, yeah, that was me just all in. And then I just slammed my door shut, you know, and, um and it, like, it kind of felt good. Like, hmm, I just gave him a piece of my mind. So obviously I didn't take him to go get his truck fixed. Right. Yeah. And so the next day I wake up and he and I would usually um, he'd take me to school in the morning, you know, he had the car I didn't. Um, and the elementary school also was right next to the high school so mark I was so pissed that morning, I went in on and I got on the elementary school bus. Oh wow. As a high schooler to go. Wow. To school I didn't want to ride with him. <laughs> so I didn't talk to him that morning, I just rode the you know the elementary school bus went to school. And lunchtime, I see him and he's walking down the hall and he's coming towards me and I'm at my locker. If you've ever had that feeling like, it's kind of like inside, like I know we're going to be okay, but I still am kind of enjoying being pissed at you. I'm not ready yet. You know, like I'm just not ready to make nice with you. And I just, I don't know, maybe I want to punish you a little longer. Or I just want to be mad a little longer. So he came walking up Kind of like he was going to say something and again i just slammed my locker and i turned around and mark that was the last time i ever saw him um he got in his truck shortly after that and drove home had another diabetic reaction in that truck hit another car and was killed instantly mm-hmm. yeah. and man i i mean talk about going to your knees i one i just couldn't believe he was gone i mean you just don't think something like that ever is going to happen to you and you know so there was initially this buckling of like mm. I can't believe my brother's gone like he was just here this morning you know his room is just how he left it and so you know there I was at home like trying to well like what does this mean that he's not here and then it hit me like mm. oh my god my last words to my brother were that I hated him and so I took that to mean I am the worst person on the planet. Like, um, you know, people on death row get a better last day than I gave my brother. And that, like, cycled in my brain over and over. I mean, they get their last meal. They get people to come in and tell them that they love them. They get to say goodbye. And the last words I gave to my brother were, like, I hate you and you're selfish and, like, all of it. And that's the last, that's what I got left with. And so, and, you know, also there was that component that he asked me to take his truck to go get fixed and I didn't, and he died in that truck the next day. So if, you know, in my 10 year old depressed brain, I killed my brother, you know, like if I would have just said yes and taken him to get his truck fixed, he wouldn't have been in that truck that day. So there I went, you know, all the way down, like I killed my brother, I'm a horrible person. I gave him the worst last day ever. And, you know, I was already in a pretty deep depression, but after that I was so suicidal. I just felt like I just kill people, you know, like I make everything worse. You know, I, I had so much shame about that. I didn't tell my parents that that had happened, so yeah. I carried that all on my own. I never told a soul about that. So 23 years, I just held that as my truth. Like this is I'm a horrible person. I have nothing to contribute. In fact, I'm just a big detriment. People around me. Like I make everyone worse. And um man, I, I'm wow. talking about going low. I really that was the predominant thought for. The rest of high school all of college and into my 20s is you know i hate myself i'm of no value and i wish i i wish i could just get the courage to kill myself
0: wow first and foremost i i you know i've heard over the duration of our friendship i'll just say snippets of that story right um and i just want to thank you i mean i my body I, i could feel just listening and and holding all that, just like my heart like literally got heavy. and you know, I just I could feel every single bit of what you experienced and shared. So thank you for the courage and the bravery and the love to share that. you know i, I have I have no idea, like none, you know, how many other people have had a similar journey um like the one you described and i think even without the specifics of it being their brother and you know saying i hate you and then something horrible happens like the end of their life i can imagine a lot of people coming out of any different variation of that story with that sense of you know i'm a horrible person so there yeah so tell me if you can like that place i mean you and i've Both had a lot of exposure to, you know, resources that now we can look back on and say, wow, if you could only have had the resource of like a Byron Katie and her simple framework to take those thoughts and then, you know, work to turn them around. But my goodness, you know, high school, college, you don't have those skills. Right. Right. So maybe you could spend a little bit of time if you're willing to talk about like, you know, you came in with depression, which my goodness, today, you know, you think about the challenges that our, our world faces and, and so yeah. many people without, I'll just say a rudder and feeling that sense of hopelessness. So, so maybe you can spend a little more time in that place of,
1: sure. you
0: know, yeah, please.
1: I, th- I just want to speak to what you were saying is that so many people, Mark, so many, I thought, you know that entire time that i was alone you know I, I because nobody was saying it you know i just everywhere it's like oh i'm happy how right. are you doing great <laughs> you know and just kind of like you i mean at the time there wasn't social media but now it just looks right. like everybody's crushing it you know yeah. like they're all at disney world and celebrating <laughs> anniversaries and life is great so it feels like you're the only one but after you know over a decade of doing suicide prevention and intervention work i realized that mindset is at the heart of suicidal ideation it's thwarted belongingness i don't belong where i once did and feeling like a burden and so those together really make up suicidal ideation of feeling like i don't fit in here there's no place for me and i don't make any contribution in fact my existence is a negative so i think there's a lot of people that can relate to that and you know, the events that lead you there really aren't the important thing. It's just that that's, you know, people's experience. And so, right. you know, hey, anybody listening or anybody know of any knowing of anybody, I mean, there's a lot of faces of desperation. You know, there's those that are having that feeling and my heart is with you. I've been in that space for a very long time in my life, you know, but there's other faces of desperation. There's those that love somebody who's in that space. And they would do anything, but they just don't know what to do, you know? And then there's those that, um, have lost somebody to suicide. That's another space of desperation. Why did they do it? What could I have done? You know, all those things, all those roads that you go down and then those that have had it in their past. So, yeah, I, I think you're, that's why I was so excited to be on this. I mean, we're speaking to so many people, particularly now that are feeling that whatever place of desperation um and you know it's interesting mark the it, it's funny how life works and circles back around but um there were a couple things that really helped me out of that stuck place and the number one thing that helped was your brother mm. Todd it just through my mom and the ski business our paths crossed um I had no idea about life coaching or anything it was kind of funny because I had connected with him and he said, oh, I think I could help you with life coaching. And I'm thinking of like, I'd never heard of it. I'm like, yeah. what am I gonna, are you gonna like come to my work with like a pom-pom or something and cheer <laughs> me on? Like, that's what I thought about life coaching. Um, so um, that uh, having a coach was profoundly, I mean, helpful, saved my life for sure. Uh, and there's a, there's a ton of them and I'm sure you will have plenty of them on Mark and, you know, including yourself, um, just unbelievable to have somebody who will listen and just, I think having the opportunity to say what's so for you, um, yeah. just have, somebody listen is incredibly powerful. Um, the second thing that comes to mind is another dear friend of both of ours, uh, Steve Chandler, yeah. who, um has the you know the distinctions the owner victim distinctions and uh that was a real eye-opener to me um what is the gosh i i used to have so many copies and i'd give them away all the time uh reinventing your life or
0: reinventing yourself yeah
1: reinventing yourself that book i read so many times and really gave me language and acceptance for just this is where i am i am I am at the bottom and yeah. I you know I wanted to resist that and make it all kinds of wrong. But, you know, once I could really accept, okay, this is where I am. And these are the changes that I want to make. Um, man, I, I've been on that journey ever since.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I appreciate you mentioning both of those people, the resources. If you go back to that moment and you were talking and referencing Todd, who just so happens to have no, been, right. been my, you know, the first guest on this podcast. That's right. right you know, bringing his own wisdom and experience and, and uh, his own journey into, you know, sort of the hell on earth that he shared in the first podcast. Do you remember specifically what it was that occurred that had you for the first time, you know, when you were working with Todd confront those stories that you had, you know, kind of just adopted, right? You adopted these stories. They, it was as if they were true Mm
1: -hmm. and you're living your
0: life out as if they're true. Like, you know, everyone's better without me and the ones you referenced before. And then something happened. I'm curious if you remember what it was that happened, what he asked you or what he said to you that kind of had you waking up and thinking, "Uh uh-huh, doesn't have to be like this anymore.
1: Yeah. Oh, I find so much humor in it now. (laughs) uh, It's so great. But it just, you know, the way life works that, um, you know, your family was uh, with your family's company and the, ski business with um and my family's in the ski business so yeah. uh, my mom worked with um your parents and yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's funny you know Todd and I kind of intersected in the ski world and I you know had this uh, when I hit suicidal crisis at 35 you know I I scared myself which is weird because I would wanted to die most of my life and then I got yeah. to the point where I actually really knew in my heart that I could yeah and it scared the crap out of me i was like i gotta just start doing something different and so i had this thought of like i want to be an author and i want to be a speaker i want to write a book and my mom was like oh you should reach out to todd he's a speaker and i'm like well i said i was going to do things different normally if my mom suggested it that's a hot no and if it's asking for help, <laughs> double no but hey i'm gonna go with it this time i'm gonna <laughs> listen to my mom and i'm gonna ask for help so i did and i called Todd and, you know, it's the most awkward phone call. Like, hey, I think I want to be a speaker. And, you know, he's like, <laughs> what have you done in this realm? And I remember thinking, well, I haven't killed myself. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. right. That's all I can think of. But anyway, I ended up hiring Todd. And because he knew my mom, he knew that I had a brother who had passed. And he kept asking, you know, Molly, tell me a story about your brother. And I I kind of was like, "Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. like that's something we don't talk about. You know, I just didn't talk about his death growing up. And um, I didn't talk about any kind of anything emotional or anything growing up. So, you know, the stories that I came up for my grand motivational speak speech was, you know, the story about skiing or, you know, I mean, yeah. total surface level. Completely. And Todd's like, oh, I don't think these are your story. And after a couple of weeks, he kept saying, Molly, tell me a story about your brother. And... I was just like, dude, no, like, man. Um, so I was up in steamboat and we were doing an in-person talk. And, you know, I decided like, oh, well, I'll just wow him with my PowerPoint. And I had this PowerPoint with like fade ins and fade outs and fireballs. And it was all like Disney World and, you know, which really resonated with Todd. No, not at all. Uh, and he just leaned over you know, kind as he does, we were at his kitchen table and he just shut my laptop and he was just looking at me and he's like, Molly, what are you so afraid of? Mm. And I think this is the first time somebody had really looked at me, like with all that presence, just really looking at me and all of that pit that I'd been carrying for 20 something years, all that with my brother, all that self-hatred just went like whoop, up in my throat. And I was like, oh, oh gosh, like I think I'm gonna lose it. Like I hadn't cried in forever, like decades. I I couldn't even try to make myself cry. And it was all right here. And I just was looking at him and I was like swallowing. I'm like, yeah. oh God, don't don't break down, don't break down. And again, just really looking at me, said, You can trust me. And I was just looking at him and he's kind of looking at me and he said, I know you don't think that you can trust me, but you can. And I was like, this dude is reading my mind. Like, you know, how are you doing this? And, you know, Mark, out it came. I just said, you know, I started crying and I said, I feel like killing myself all the time. And, you know, and then I just cried and, you know, I said, there is a story about my brother. And that was the first time I'd ever told anybody. I mean, that was 25 years later. And, you know, and really, Todd didn't say much, he listened, and he listened, and he listened. And, um, you know, after I said all that, I felt so much better, you know, just speaking my truth and have somebody just powerfully listening, and just holding a loving presence, you know, and I think I'd been terrified most of my life that if somebody knew this about me, that they would hate me as much as I did. And, you know, I'm sitting there, I got tears in my eyes and Todd got tears in his eyes. We're both crying. And he just looked over and he's like, you know what? I love you now. And those words saved my life and forever changed it. Yeah. Because in my mind, I was like, if one human being can I mean, I would have settled for not hate me. I mean, my bar was pretty low. If you just don't despise me, maybe I'll be okay. But whoa, wait a second. I thought this was like the worst part about me. I thought that the hell of me was the worst part about me. And yet here's somebody giving me a different experience about maybe my hell is what makes me lovable. Wow. And I and I was like, oh, I, maybe this is completely different. Maybe it isn't you know, can I avoid the hell or can I dust over the hell or just get through the hell, but maybe the hell is what's really the beauty in me. Maybe this is something that is is really um, fortifying me and and making me who I am. So, you know, I think that was a complete turning point in my life. And I'd say from that conversation forward, um, I have not suffered from that story since have I had a lot of pain from it? For sure. I mean, there's a lot of healing after that, but I think from that moment on, I was in on a, a journey of healing, growth, upliftment, transformation, and up until that conversation, I was in a, just a world of suffering, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, wow, thank you for sharing that. That is such wisdom, right? I mean, you, and, and if you fast forward from that point now, I think you and I both would acknowledge that it is the, I'll call it the proverbial hell that we are brought through that does accentuate, you know, the beauty and the gifts. It's, you know, we want to think, most people want to think, as you, you mentioned before, turn on social media and it's that image, that curated image that, you know, people are trying to project, but really it's the stuff that you just walked us through, your story. And, and I have a similar story, accessed and, and, you know, referenced from a different question, you know, that, that was the first experience in my life of being taken to my knees. I didn't realize it until somebody in the sanctity of caring enough asked me a question, like, do you have a secret you want to share? And yours was, you know, what are you afraid of? Right. These brilliant piercing questions and, you know, and, and the, so much to unpack through just this conversation. One is you don't have to do it alone. Right. This sense that, you know, and and you as a person who spent a number of your adult years working with people who were, um, in that suicidal ideation phase, you know, thinking about wondering if their life has value and, you know, recognizing that sometimes it takes that one person, just one person to reach out or be there. And I love you. I see you, you know, you matter, that sort of thing, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, when, when you were sharing your story, I, I was I was in a state of almost rapture for you and the idea of, you know, we think that the hell is the hell, but the hell could actually be the exact opposite.
1: I but know. You know I, you, yeah, yeah, you can't
0: see it. You, I'm imagining you didn't see it in that moment with Todd, right?
1: No. Like, yeah, are you, you kidding me? I would have done <laughs> anything to remove this, you know, if I could just... Yeah. You know and i tried all kinds of things i tried alcohol i tried running i tried sure. achieving i tried perfectionism i tried yeah. school to like run from that but man um but yeah what you were saying mark it it reminds me you know when i was the lowest you know when i was really in those dark suicidal places there were two things that would help me more than anything else you're not alone yeah and you are so loved mm-hmm. And I wholeheartedly believe that's true of every single person on the planet, that you're not alone. You know, I think it's taken me a long time to realize that we never know the impact that we have. We don't know the impact of our work, you know, we don't know the impact that we have on the people in our lives. You know, the the kid that you went to kindergarten with or elementary school, or you know, like all the years that you have touched lives, I don't think we have any clue as to the level of impact that we have on other human beings. And I also, you know, carry a deep faith, too, of just how profoundly loved we are. Um, And so I was going to ask
0: you that question, does that sense of never being alone, and we're always loved? Obviously, you know, you went through a window of time where you were in the throes of becoming an ordained minister. And, you know, you and I have a similar faith journey in terms of that groundedness, right? I mean, we each have our own expression of how that occurs in our lives. And, but I think that sense of never being alone and always being loved, uh, mine comes from my childhood of faith and and the faith that I still hold today as an absolute truth for me. You know, I know it's not a truth for everybody. Is that what you were referencing when you were talking about that? Or were you thinking about never alone and always loved from other people or both?
1: I think it's both. Honestly, yeah. I think it's both. And I get that That if you're in that suicidal space, that doesn't—that that is not your experience. It doesn't feel true. Everything that you see out in the world is evidence that you don't belong and that you're not loved and you're not lovable. I, I get it. I've been there. Um, but you know, this journey of healing, I really just was after one thing. I just want to, I want to want to wake up in the morning. That was my prayer. And that's what i was going for i just want to have the will to live that's it um and so this you know amazing journey it has you know led all places i wasn't looking for anything else but it certainly took me on a spiritual path and you know and uh spiritual psychology and then spiritual right. not religious and then i went fully the other <laughs> realm into into seminary school and, yep. you know, a senior pastor, you know, in the Methodist church. And so, you know, I tend to do big swings, but um, wherever that is, you know, spiritual, not religious or a higher power or something, I, I do, you know, wholeheartedly feel that um, we have no idea of just how deeply we are connected and how deeply we are loved.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the amazing part, and I just want to thank you for the gift of putting light on this is that, you know, when we first started out, you were sharing on this in this conversation, how much joy you have, how much you love your life, you know? And if people just stop listening at that point in time, they might certainly miss this whole other way. Like a couple decades plus of, you know, self-hate, loathing, you know, isolation, withdrawal, you name it. We could put all kinds of words on that. And just, it's just, it's the miracle of, you know, that, that, that path forward and up, whatever that is. And I, you know, you and I, I love Richard Rohr as a, a a human being of great wisdom. I know you do too. And, you know, that sense of falling upward. And I think that experience of falling upward and then becoming just more wise, more compassionate, more aware hopefully loving and all those things that go along with it. And, and what an incredible journey you've been on and what a gift right. for me to be here at a front row seat.
1: Right. To all that. Right. I mean, yeah. From the very beginning of it, for sure. Yeah. just If, you know, if I can share one more thing, I, Please. you know, the, this plug and, um, Uh, you know of all the suicide prevention that i've done and the advocacy and the speaking i think the place i come to today is just sharing your love and your heart and your kindness wherever you are you know whether it's at a gas station or with your kids or at the grocery store or whatever it is share that piece of your heart and it is so profound. I mean, I can't even tell you the number of conversations that I've had with people that were said, you know, I was on, on my way to go kill myself and somebody smiled and it, you know, that was enough. And it's these small, small, small acts um, that seem so small to us or just insignificant to us, which are so profound um, on the other side of it. So again, I, um, you know, one of our other friends, Stephen McGee calls him a niggle you know, it's that that inner nudge you get or just that that kind of prompting that you have of like, oh, you know, somebody came to mind this morning or like, oh, I just thought of my uncle. I haven't thought of him in forever, you know, or oh, somebody I went to college with just popped into my mind or an old friend or, you know, or like, oh, I should pick up that piece of trash or I should go, you know, that dog's running without a leash, whatever it is. But I think if we all got better about listening to those niggles, you know, that, that inner intuition, it's profound, you know? And I think it's not that we're not aware of who may need, you know, a phone call or a text or a hug, uh, but it's just getting out of our own way. Like, who cares if it's awkward or it's embarrassing or it's like, let's get awkward, let's get weird, let's get embarrassing, <laughs> but let's, let's follow those niggles and reach out and connect, let's say, I love you let's um let people know that. let's yeah. share from our hearts, you know, let's do those things and i and I think that would make a profound difference for all these faces of desperation to just get better about saying hey you you mean something to me, you know, I haven't seen you in years, and uh, you know, and I'd be saying this to you right now mark i mean yeah. i I feel that way about you as well, just how much i love you and your, you know, your family, Todd, um, what an impact you all have had certainly on my life. I'm here today because of your family. So yeah, I yeah. love the, your light and what you do in the world. And man, it, it's made a profound difference for me for sure.
0: Well, I would say the same back to you. I love you. You know that I feel it all the time. And I'm so blessed to have had you as part of my life. Um, and so blessed to have had you here in this, sacred space as you shared just an incredible story. And then the journey out of that story to the point where you're now where you are, it makes me beam with happiness for you, you know, because I've I've seen all the other, you know, variations. (laughs) And so it's it's like liberation, right? Liberation through love, through self-acceptance, through, you know, um, yeah. So uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you. You have been... Mm -hmm. Just such a gift to be in this conversation with. Um, my love for you is just nothing but deepened and broadened, and you know, and strengthened as a result of this conversation. Uh, you are an amazing author. You've got a new book coming out. I've, you know, you have written other books, and you're also speaking. Do you mind spending a minute and let somebody know how they can get a hold of you, or what the name of your new book is in case they want to look for it, and when it might be available?
1: Sure. I mean, very timely as to this conversation. <laughs> the magic is in the mess. You know, it is about, it's not getting through the mess, but man, it's just really seeing that's the good part. So uh, my book, uh, you know, really is about uh, the last year or so of my life. I uh, got kicked out of the United Methodist Church. I came <laughs> out at 47. I um, got divorced. Uh, I married a woman. I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and wow, talk about mess. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> blew up my whole life, you know, and it's, funny. I've never been happier. So really sharing that story and all the things that, you know, we're still in the way. Uh, So excited to get that book out. Um, It should be out, um, you know, towards the end of this year. And more speaking, uh, mollybooker.com. You can find me on Instagram. I posted the other day about doing yoga and dancing in my underwear. So if that is any inkling of the joy that I've find in my everyday. Yeah. Yeah. Doing yoga in your underwear with your elf shoes. Your- <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I like it. That's awesome. In the kitchen. Hey. Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, I was, when we talked before we started the podcast, I had asked if you had one resource, like what resource would that be? And if you had one piece of advice and you've already given so much to anybody listening to this uh-huh. to myself included, right? Yeah. But if there was a resource that, has, you know, made a significant difference in your journey. And then just a thought for somebody to consider, what would those two things be before we end?
1: Yeah, oh, gosh, so many. Um, One, uh, life coaching, you know, Um, Steve Chandler, um, Stephen McGee, or Mark Musselman, Todd Musselman, a uh, wonderful coaches Greg Aiden. I mean a whole handful of them, but um, any of those I I'm all i've spent a lot of time with and, and life changing conversations so uh, that i'd highly highly recommend you know also Steve Chandler's owner victim work Todd musselman does a lot with that as well. Um, you know, another thing too is. Um, faith you know, whatever that may be and wherever it feels accessible, whether it's getting outside and just seeing the beauty, you know, in the desert or the ocean or the mountains, um, or, you know, wherever you may be, um, or maybe it's church, maybe it's religion, maybe it's spirituality, maybe it's yoga, what maybe it's cooking or dancing in your underwear, whatever that may be, but, um, leaning into something bigger than yourself. Um, I also think, uh, you know, for those, struggling with um desperation, particularly suicidal desperation. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has done incredible work. AFSP.org um, and their website has tons and tons of resources. So certainly know you're not alone and there's people out there that would love to talk to you right now. The number, you know, you can certainly find online, um AFSP. So all of yeah. those. You know,
0: um, yeah, that's brilliant. And, and you know, I I have hotlines, you know, really not, I'm I'm blessed to not have a need right now in my life for them, but I keep them in my phone, which is something that when I went to a suicide prevention training that somebody I know um, led, uh, Miss Booker, uh, it it was put those numbers in your phone. And so I have, yeah, I've had recent need to Mm. pass that number along to somebody who found themselves at the bottom of the pit and reached out that night to the hotline and you know made their way forward as a result of the incredibly um, you know present staff that's you know on those lines waiting for people who are kind of just profoundly feeling stuck so yeah put them in your phone
1: there's a there's another one the national suicide lifeline is 1-800-273-8255 and i you know i think there's one now that um you know is a three digit that it is
0: yeah, you're right. Was, uh, I want to say it's 911, but I'm not sure if that's the right number. But there is a three digit code that the government created mm-hmm. kind of like no 911 oh, is emergency. I, I think right, it's, right, right. yeah, yeah, that's my mistake. So anyway, something along those lines. and And I don't know what that code is. And I probably should have before I got on this call with you. But yeah, all that is just brilliant to have at your fingertips and to be able to, it may not be you. It may be somebody you love, right? So right. just having that, available to provide as a resource. Molly, thank you. Um, You are brilliant and beautiful and powerful, all those things. And even more so now that we've had this conversation, you've been such a gift to have and uh, blessings to you and to Kelly as you continue to dance in your underwear in the kitchen and make a beautiful life in Nashville, Tennessee. And I can't wait to connect with you again after all this is said and done. And it's been an honor to have you as a guest.
1: Thank you, you. Mark. Love you. Love you too. And uh, look forward to more.
0: Cheers. This is your host, Mark Musselman. Thank you for joining this week's episode of The Other Side of Hell. Please subscribe and share and tune in next week for another great episode.